Hello everyone and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will give you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Chloe, a reporter and new model advisor, and today we are talking about mental health. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK, and we thought it was important to look into how advice firms can support advisors' mental health and why mental health should be considered a strategic priority, um, especially in the context of the pandemic, um, cost of living crisis, anxiety around all kinds of global events. Um, There are a lot of things happening, a lot of things having an impact on our mental health, whether we realise it or not. And it's important to know how to kind of best cope with with all of this. Um, So today I'm joined by Kate Ehrman, Head of Legal for Europe, the Middle East and Africa at Bravura Solutions. Um, But uh, perhaps more relevant to our discussion today, Kate is also the lead on Bravura's mental health programme called Global Be Well. And I'm also joined by Anastasia Vinikova. Head of Workplace Wellbeing at the City Mental Health Alliance, which is an alliance of businesses that work together with mental health experts and partner organisations to support employees' mental health. So, Kate and Anastasia, thank you so much for being here. How are you both doing today? I'm really well. Thank you, Chloe. I'm just delighted to, to be invited to, to speak with you today, and Anastasia. So, thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Thank you. Really excited to get stuck into such an important topic. Lovely. Um, So yeah, to get started, I um, wanted to know a little bit more about both of your personal journeys into becoming mental health advocates. If, Kate, you want to go first? Sure. Thanks, Chloe. Well, um, for me at Bravura, uh, it started in May 2021 with undertaking a mental health first aid course. Uh, This is a course which teaches people how to identify, understand and help someone who may be experiencing a mental health issue. Um, I was really interested in becoming a mental health first aider because to me, mental health is just as important as physical health. Uh, Looking after mental health is vital to enjoying life and of course this includes our work. Um, This is an issue I'm really very passionate about and uh, I think this drive has come about after over 11 years of a dedicated meditation practice in which I've seen the many benefits of focusing on mental well-being. What about you Anastasia? What has been your personal journey into into becoming a mental health advocate? Thanks Chloe. So I I feel very passionately about mental health uh, in kind of all spaces of life but in particular in the workplace. And that journey has really stemmed from lived experience of mental illness. So I have an anxiety disorder and intermittent depression, um, unfortunately, both of which have been characterised by disordered eating. Um, And that's something I've been grappling with for about a decade, which seems like a really long time. um, But actually, it's also been uh, seems like quite a quick journey um, as well. And I spent the first couple of years of that experience of feeling unwell in a space where I was quite confused about what I was going through. I felt a lot of shame. I felt very different to other people. And it was actually when I entered a workplace where there was what felt like a truly inclusive culture, which worked hard to support people regardless of their life experiences that really changed my perspective on how I could manage my own condition, how open I could be about it. So it was really coming to a workplace where I had kind of the support mechanisms and the culture to make me feel that it was okay to feel what I was feeling. That prompted me to 
find support to learn how to manage my condition and really changed my life in a lot of ways because I suppose mental health is one of those things that it permeates all aspects of our lives. It's in our personal life, it's in our work life. So when you get to a space where you can accept it and you know learn to manage your conditions it it really does mean that you can start to thrive and and actually live rather than just surviving so I think seeing the impact that a workplace that had you know really worked hard to to create a culture of acceptance and support you know the impact that that had on me I thought well I've got to now dedicate my time to trying to replicate that within other other organizations so I'm I feel really strongly about trying to equip organizations as best as possible to try and make sure that that's the experience for other people as well yeah absolutely and um, I think the pandemic has obviously had quite a huge impact on, on how we perceive work and, and our space within the workplace. So maybe it's to simplify it, but the way that I've kind of seen people go down two different paths. So people for whom working from home has really kind of blurred the boundary between between work and life in a way that can be quite unhealthy. And some people for whom this life-changing event that was the pandemic was really kind of a shift in perspective and they started to prioritize what what really matters so kind of uh, a change in 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 their work-life balance but for the better um what do you think about that and how do you think the pandemic has kind of shaped our understanding of, of mental health in the workplace um Anastasia if you want to go first sure I mean I think the pandemic definitely has shaped lots of aspects of our lives but certainly you know our, our understanding of, of mental health in the workplace I think whilst acknowledging obviously the absolute devastation and difficulty that the pandemic brought, a small silver lining I think is that we saw an increase in research and reports being looked at into mental health and specifically into the interaction between mental health and the workplace. So we've filled a lot of gaps in our knowledge and in particular I think that's importantly been the case around the experiences of different people and different demographics. So For example, the CMHA have a report called the Mental Health and Race at Work report, where we found that people who are black or from a minority ethnic background are more likely to have had experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic that contributed to poor mental health than their white counterparts. And we also ran a report around people in their early careers, so young professionals between the ages of 20 to 26, where we found that 72% of the respondents had experienced poor mental health in the last 12 months, And really sadly, one in 50 had attempted suicide. So these are demographics that, you know, we maybe haven't thought about before as having a different mental health journey, because I think in the past, the mental health movement has been about, let's get talking about it, let's do something about it. But now actually, we know that that journey doesn't look the same for everybody. And that's so important for organisations, because the more that we understand that it's not one size fits all, that different people have a variety of different contexts, it's not even necessarily about demographic, it's about all those individual contexts that we learnt about during the pandemic, that we saw of our colleagues, we saw, you know, what was going on for them at home, we understood more about, you know, maybe they lived with somebody vulnerable, they may have had caring responsibilities, parental responsibilities. I think it's given us an insight that hopefully has been an important push for workplaces to understand that, you know, you can't get mental health right in the workplace until you recognise that your workforce is made up of individuals who are going to have different circumstances and we have to make sure that we flex to that so that we can really provide support to everybody in, in a really inclusive way. And what do you think, Kate? Uh, look, I think Anastasia just articulated um, the, the 
position so beautifully. Um, you know, the, the only thing I would add is that um, certainly at Bravura, uh, we, we are learning some really valuable lessons here. Um, it, it's forced us to confront the fact that uh, the mental well-being of everyone is crucial to a thriving work environment. Um, the pandemic has required us all to navigate the challenges of being away from the office, colleagues, family and friends, uh, working from home and, and all the difficulties that has wrought. Uh, this on top of all the demands of, of work, which continue unabated. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, Anastasia, can you tell me a bit more about the, the biggest mental health challenges that the businesses that are part of the City Mental Health Alliance are currently facing? Yeah, of course. I mean, what I would say is that we are very fortunate to have a very diverse range of members across different industries and in very different places on their journey. So I think I definitely can't provide sort of a golden ticket answer that applies to absolutely everybody. Um, but I think that we're definitely seeing some key trends around the things that have been particularly challenging and challenges that are emerging now that we know that kind of in the medium and long term are going to be really important to equip our members to deal with. So some of those relate to um, being inclusive in your approach to well-being. So as I was mentioning, we've learned a lot about, you know, the different experiences that people can have. But also parallel to that, lots of organisations have been on a very powerful diversity and inclusion journey over the last couple of years. It's been a huge focus for so many organisations. But well-being really has to be central to that. We know, you know, as I mentioned, through research and reports, not just from the CMHA, but from other, you know, wonderful organisations as well, that there are there is a real need to make sure that organisations are understanding people's journeys and are able to provide representative and comprehensive and relevant support to different people within organisations. Also, we're seeing a lot of issues around burnout and fatigue. I think the last two years has been incredibly challenging for people, both on a personal level, but also in the context of what work has looked and felt like increased workloads in very difficult contexts and circumstances. So, you know, we're adapting now still to new habits, to a new hybrid way of working, which in itself is very exhausting. But I think that where burnout is very related to organisational and job design, there is also something about that really difficult shift from recognising that the way that organisations might have been set up in the past has to evolve alongside our understanding of the impact that that can have on people's mental health. And I suppose, finally, and this is probably quite a broad one, but I'm going to mention it anyway. I mean, of course, current affairs have a massive impact on the workforces of the members that we support. So whether we're talking about financial well-being, which for lots of organisations is a relatively new topic to start exploring related to you know, the financial impact of the pandemic, but also what we're understanding now about the cost of living crisis, all the way through to the emotional impact and the very traumatic impact of all of the things that we see when we are surrounded by current affairs and news, whether that's what we see on our TV, what we get cropping up on our mobiles, on our social media. So there's a lot of impact from everything that happens outside of just the workplace and even just kind of people's um, personal lives. Everything that's going on in the world around us has a really big impact on emotional and psychological health. So we we have lots to, to work through to try and support our members, but um, we're endeavouring to, to look at all of these from different angles 
angles and provide some holistic and expert guidance to to our membership base and and beyond as well. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned burnout, which I think is is quite interesting because something about burnout and what's probably quite insidious about it is that you if you are suffering from burnout you can you often see it as just you being lazy and so that kind of delays the the, the time that it gets you to, to ask for help um, so it's definitely one of the, the really big issues that need to be addressed um, can you tell me a bit more about the what you do in your respective organizations to, to support mental health um, Kate if you want to take that one first absolutely thank you I mean um, you know we, we've taken the first steps in building on the support that has already been made available at Bravura. Um, so in the last year, we have instituted a, a global network of mental health first aiders. Um, currently, we have a, a ratio of about one mental health first aider to every 50 employees globally. Um, we'd like to continue to expand this capability uh, in addition to making ourselves available for one-to-one support for those in need, uh, mental health first aiders take a, a prospective role too in advocating the importance of mental health. So, for example, we host regular drop-ins. Um, these are safe spaces where we can share, uh, listen and support each other online with colleagues from across the globe. Um, We've also found that storytelling um, has proven to be really powerful uh, in inspiring others to share their mental health stories as well. And what about you, Anastasia? So um, as, as you may know, I'm relatively new to the City Mental Health Alliance. So um, just over a month ago, I moved over from the Bank of England, where I was wellbeing lead. So in that role at the Bank of England, I was responsible for looking after the wellbeing of our colleagues through trying to develop an inclusive culture, supporting around education and learning opportunities and also effective interventions for when colleagues got to that stage where they were um, feeling unwell in kind of whatever well-being capacity that was. And now at City Mental Health Alliance, I, I feel really fortunate to have the responsibility of trying to spread that to uh, a broader um, membership base uh, across all of our CMHA UK members, um, supporting them to support the mental health of, of their workforces because Unfortunately, there's no guidebook, there's no golden ticket on how exactly to get workplace wellbeing perfectly right. So um, my role alongside colleagues at the City Mental Health Alliance is to bring together businesses to collaborate and learn together, but also from one another, but also whilst providing expert insight to, to guide the thinking and, and action that they take. And so kind of um, taking it to um, more focus on, on advice firms and um, our listeners who are advisors and, and are probably wondering about um, how their, their companies and their businesses can, can be better at supporting their employees. What are some of the tangible ways that you think advice firms can, can support their employees' mental health and, and be mindful of it? Um, well, you know, I think recognising that um, it's essential to address the issue, you know, that that's an important start. Um, having a small but enthusiastic cohort of individuals committed to creating a mentally safe environment by taking steps like undergoing mental health first aid training, um, that will all start moving the ball forward. Uh, and of course, leaning on the expertise of external support networks like the Alliance uh, and its membership to help steer firms in the right direction. Anastasia, what do you think? 
So I definitely agree with everything that Kate has mentioned. I think importantly, you can tell I love this phrase, but I think it's really true. There is no one size fits all. So it really depends on the individual firm and their context. But there are definitely a few things to consider, like building the understanding and the mental health literacy amongst the workforce is really important. And that can be through informal interventions, sharing articles, sharing research and reports. There's lots out there that is really fascinating, but also incredibly useful to know, but also offering training and learning opportunities, which doesn't have to just be mental health specific training. There's a lot of soft skills um, that are on the periphery of being an inclusive and and mentally healthy organisation that are really important to build in as well. I think engaging senior leadership is important and reminding them of the real power they can have in role modelling, you know, behaviours that are conducive of positive mental health. Um, Engaging champions and enthusiastic individuals, as Kate said, I think can be incredibly um, impactful. But also having safe spaces and feedback mechanisms to ensure that actually you're really listening to what your colleagues need and what the challenges are that they're facing rather than making assumptions which may or may not be right. Um, We have uh, something that City Mental Health Alliance called the Thriving at Work um, Framework. So there's a guide that's available to non-members for free on our website. And the idea is to give a structure for businesses to implement these elements in a way that it doesn't matter what size or shape or structure your organisation is. It's all applicable to you, regardless of where you are in that journey and what your organisation looks like. So I'd encourage listeners to have a look at that. Okay, great. And what do you think small advice firms can do to support their employees' mental health? Because obviously they might not have as many resources to to dedicate to that. Um, What do you think their approach should be? I'm a firm believer that it doesn't have to be expensive or resource heavy to start building a mentally healthy culture. I think that it is important though to acknowledge that it takes time, it takes patience and it takes some emotion to be injected and, and some emotional resilience as well. So I think firstly it's really important to start the dialogue and provide colleagues with a safe space to share their stories and their experiences which in itself is an incredibly powerful way to get a genuine, authentic and open dialogue going around mental health to introduce the topic and to really humanise it. We know lots of statistics and numbers around what mental health looks like, but it's easy to get lost in that and to forget that actually behind every number there's an individual going through a very raw and real experience. And also, I mean, the wonderful thing now is that there are so many free resources that are available to organisations and it can be really powerful even to just collect some of those resources, have them, encourage them to to be used and to have them somewhere which is accessible so that if somebody's in a difficult place, they don't have to look too far or kind of scramble through lots of pages to find those resources. Um, I won't list a really long list of kind of uh, resources, which I think are are great because there are so many, there's too many to mention, but there's a few that come to mind, which I think can be really helpful for firms which don't have the resource um, to to start this mental health movement going. One of them is um, uh, Wellbeing in the Workplace, which is a digital training tool by the charity Samaritans, which is a suicide prevention charity. It's a brilliant digital learning tool which is based on the training that they provide to their listening volunteers and it teaches skills of active listening and pinpoints the reasons why it's important to check in with people when you've noticed that actually maybe they're not doing very well. 
it's modular and you can do it across lots of platforms so you don't have to sit and do you know four hours of training in one go which is great for um, you know busy people with with very busy jobs Um, and also mental health first aid England have some great resources around both guides on how to support other people but also um, information to improve mental health literacy which is available to you regardless of whether you've done their training or not so those are a few to keep in mind but there are wonderful charities that provide support some which will provide support for specific communities and demographics which is great in terms of providing a space where they don't have to explain the context that they're in so I think collecting lots of that and having a space where that can be shared can be um, really helpful. City Mental Health Alliance does also have free resources available to non-members so like our Thriving at Work framework but also our Mental Health and Race Toolkit Um, and there are lots of charities which provide phone lines and advice lines if that's not something that an organisation can provide in-house having that opportunity to know that there's somebody that you can speak to if it's outside of office hours, for example, um, is, is really important. But I think, you know, the basics are trying to use the energy and enthusiasm that you absolutely will have amongst, you know, your wonderful people within your workforce um, and thinking about making small changes wherever you've got a process that touches people, just thinking about actually when we do this and when we engage our, with our colleagues in this way, what are some of the ways that we might be able to acknowledge that actually as a workplace we've got a big impact on our people and how can we make that a little bit more well-being focused I think just those small changes you'll be surprised how quickly it will snowball into um, you know a powerful movement around mental health. Thank you for sharing those resources I'm sure that um, that'll be really helpful to our listeners Um, and so Kate how do you think companies should make Um, why do you think companies should make mental health a strategic priority and how should they go about it? um, Well, look, you know, the the world is changing rapidly um, and companies need to stay relevant socially. Um, Addressing mental health, I don't think, is a luxury. Uh, It is the need of the time and so it's incumbent on firms to start making this a priority. And then there are the many benefits of this. There's the upside of a more engaged, energetic, positive and vibrant workforce. A health-creating environment can be a real competitive advantage too. Um, There's the virtuous circle of a company that cares about its workforce, in turn becoming an employer of choice, and then winning more business because your people are then fueled for growth. Um, that's why it was a, a no-brainer for Bravura to partner with the City Mental Health Alliance um, for them to support us in our journey on this uh, and in creating a mental health strategy that sees us grow more and more into a, a thriving and, and health-creating workplace. And Anastasia, what do you think about this idea of making mental health a, a strategic priority? For me, I think it's it seems like the right thing to do. I, I feel like that is, you know, it goes without saying. We spend so much time and effort at work, whether virtually or physically. I think it makes sense to want both ourselves and our colleagues to feel included and supported and healthy and productive. And it's also a really important way of attracting a diverse range of thinking if you do have mental health as a strategic priority. And we know that when you have a diverse range of thinking within your organisation, that is going to be important regardless of whatever your business output might be. 
But as as Kate sort of alluded to, I mean, there's you can't ignore that there's a business case to it as well, whether you're looking at productivity, presenteeism, sickness, absent retention or talent attraction, there's a significant cost to getting it wrong. Um, Deloitte released a report this year which suggested that the cost of mental health related sickness absence is at a record high of 53 to 56 billion pounds per year which is an astounding figure but also if you get it right employers see a return of five pounds 30 on average for every one pound that they invest in mental health so you know we we like numbers as well I mentioned it's really important to remember the humans behind the numbers but numbers can be really impactful in kind of visualizing that picture as well so there's a cost to getting it wrong and and there's a benefit to to getting it right. So I think, you know, organisations who recognise that and want to implement mental health as a strategic priority should, as we've mentioned, and and as Kate has, you know, mentioned the experiences at Bravura, bringing together enthusiastic people and champions, bringing in senior leadership, listening to your people and the challenges that they want addressed, I think is is a really good starting point for, for kicking off mental health really being a core part of of your strategic priorities as an organization absolutely and yeah i hope that this was a um a really useful conversation for our listeners and that it made them think a little bit more about how they might um start thinking about mental health within their their own organizations um so kate and anastasia thank you so much for joining us and thank you everybody for listening um if you'd like to get in contact with us about this episode we're on twitter at new model advisor or feel free to get in touch with me directly. I'm C Melly, M-E-L-E-Y, at citywire.co.uk. Um, thanks everyone uh, for joining and we will see you next week. Thank you so much. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs>